Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Beyond Carbon podcast. Uh, my name is George Dyer, and I'm joined today by Chris Ito. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well, George. Thanks. Really uh, excited to be here doing this with you. Yeah, we're launching a podcast. This is going to be fun. And yeah, we just want to share, this is sort of the introductory episode, so we're going to have all types of guests and cover all types of topics, but this one will be a, a sort of a short episode to kick us off and share a little bit about what we're planning to do here. And really, you know, we've got sort of three reasons why we thought it would be important to, to launch this podcast at this time. Um, first, you know, we urgently need to solve some of the, the big issues that threaten our society from climate change to extreme inequality, uh, the undermining of democratic institutions, all sorts of challenges face us. And as we work with investors, you know, investors have huge stakes in the outcomes of, uh, of these challenges and also a huge role to play in supporting the solutions. So uh, they need to be informed. And um, yeah, we think this is a good venue to do so. And finally, we thought the world just really needed another podcast. We thought there weren't enough out there, needed to add our voices in. But no, it's really a great medium. You know, we think in addition to all the convenings and webinars and articles out there, um, just listening to conversations and having a, another way to engage folks in these conversations. Um, is an important way to drive some of these issues forward. So, um, you know, we get to talk to lots of different people in our networks. Sustainable investing is a complex topic. There's lots of different angles to cover. And so so we're looking forward to it. I think this is going to be a great venue to, um, you know, explore some of the best practices, some of the emerging standards in this space, and, you know, share information, share different types of opinions, different perspectives from different people so that, you know, investors, whether they're institutional investors or individual can, um, do their best to integrate these issues into their investments and into their lives. Yeah. And, and I think we also want to make this interesting for people who are beginning to study it, but also for people who might even be a little bit skeptical of how investors can um, can invest in a more sustainable fashion. And, you know, as you talked about the some of the challenges, George, they are complex and they're also multifaceted, right? Because they involve science government policy, finance, human behavior, societal norms, and and of course, like everything else, it involves politics on, a, on not just a global level, but also national and even and even local, as we're seeing, you know, playing out now. So I, I really think it's the intersection of all these different disciplines that makes both, you know, projecting and then figuring out how to solve the climate crisis really so challenging. So you know, I know that we're we're going to be centered on investing, but I also you know think we're going to be able to talk about a wide range of topics here. And you know, George, I'm I'm really interested in in getting your thoughts as well. You know, you you see a lot and hear a lot from your perch at IEN, and and I know you and I have talked a lot in the past, but I'm sure there's a lot that we are going to tend to agree on. But I'm also guessing that you and I are going to have disagreements or may not be in complete agreement on a lot of issues relating to what are the right approaches for sustainable investing. So I think it's going to be fun and instructive to go back and forth uh, with you and, and our guests on issues that where maybe we don't agree. Because part of what makes this whole area interesting is that the notion of best practices is really, I think, just evolving. So there are no right or wrong answers for the most part. And for me, I think this is just a, a great opportunity to have a little fun and, and learn from people who are going to have different perspectives and opinions uh, from from perhaps our own. Yeah, that's right. No, I mean, I think you're right. It's a it's a transdisciplinary set of issues, and um, we'll get folks from kind of across the spectrum that you know can inform these conversations. And you know, I think as a result, you know, as we think about who might be interested in this podcast, 
you know, certainly institutional investors, trustees, chief investment officers, you know, endowment staff, folks at investment asset management companies and the like, but also individuals, you know, anyone who's got a retirement plan. Uh, we work with a lot of colleges and universities. So students who might be interested in entering this field or just better understanding how the financial system sort of influences the economy and, and society as a whole. Um, and anyone who just might be curious about these topics. So yeah, I think it'll be good. And you know, as you say, people who might be skeptical about these ideas too. There's uh, more and more debate in the media, and we'll probably talk about that. Some of these um, attacks and, and sort of backlash on ESG investing um, and where that's coming from. But you know, yeah, we want to get all types of viewpoints into these conversations. Yeah, and, and just maybe a little bit further for the audience here in terms of topics that you and I have discussed and things that we might want to try to address is you know just things like hey what does it mean to have a net zero portfolio and and what is a just transition and how do those concepts go hand in hand and where maybe where is their conflict you know and you alluded to this too right is that there's these controversies around ESG now over the last 5 years we've seen this enormous amount of of money go into ESG investment strategies but now there's this backlash going on right now so what does that mean and How's that going to potentially impact an institution's, uh, I would say, inclination to adopt these strategies? Uh, there's policy action going on. And I also think what's going to be interesting, too, as we expand this a little bit, is to have maybe more, I don't know if esoteric is the right word, but esoteric conversations with some maybe technical experts around things like renewable energy. There's a lot of discussion now about the transmission grid and and siting. So there are a lot of directions we can go. And and I also want to hear from perhaps some oil and gas executives on their transition plans and maybe let some people make their own determination as to whether those plans are real or maybe simply just greenwashing. So not going to simply be like a series of people coming on with the same viewpoints and talking about investing, right? As the title implies, beyond we're going to try to go beyond carbon and uh, uh, help people think and and talk about investing through a broader lens. So mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. And yeah, and maybe we should tell everyone a little bit about ourselves and uh, you know, maybe why they should listen in and, and the type of work that we're doing. So Chris, why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about yourself and your work and kind of how you got here. Yeah. Okay. You're gonna make me go first. That's fine. <laughs> so uh, you know, before I joined uh FFI, my professional career was sort of grounded, I would say more in traditional finance and investing. So really just you know, two parts at the beginning. I, I worked as a consultant at Deloitte, and this goes back to the late 1990s and up through the early 2000s. It was mostly around financial risk management and some investment consulting. Then I had the opportunity to become a portfolio manager at a fund of hedge funds. And uh, that was an interesting period of time because it was right, you know, before, during, and after the financial crisis. So experienced you know, both the ups and downs, I would say, of the fund of funds business. And, you know, it was really about that time, actually, when I got interested in the topic of, of climate change. And I'm not sure that you and I ever, ever talked about this, George, but it was really at a conference that a friend of mine hosted at Miami University. It was close to 15 years ago. It really opened my eyes to climate change and sustainability and, and got me interested in the topic. And this is when the notion of sustainable investing was just, you know, getting started. So, you know, I ended up finding, you know, this opportunity with FFI, which uh, in, in a lot of ways takes some of the consulting and investment experience that I, I've had and lets me apply it to a cause that I've grown passionate about. So, you know, here we are now to, at FFI trying to help investors think about and incorporate climate into their 
investment process. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. So I, I run the Intentional Endowments Network, which is a nonprofit peer learning network that helps um, endowments and endowment service providers sort of move towards more uh, mission aligned, sustainable investing for both more positive outcomes, but also for better investing for these institutions. Um, and, you know, I'd always known from a pretty young age that I wanted to work in sustainability um, and saw business and finance as really a critical uh, leverage point for helping to create a more sustainable society. And also just saw that, you know, as we needed to shift as a society, that there would be both risks and opportunities for business and investors through this transition. So, you know, out of college, I did some um, work in green building, worked for some startups, um, did a couple of years on Wall Street, and then um, found a graduate program in Sweden, actually focused on leadership towards sustainability. And coming out of that, fell into working with higher education as I just got a better appreciation for you know, the critical role that the higher ed sector also plays in um, helping to advance solutions and shaping mindsets of, you know, professionals in, in all parts of our society. And that led me to connecting with a, a group called Second Nature, another nonprofit that, that does this work in higher ed, which was just launching the President's Climate Commitment, where university, college and university presidents were committing to carbon neutrality in their own campus operations, led that initiative through Second Nature and with partners for several years. Uh, and then in you know kind of 2013, 2014, the fossil fuel divestment movement started taking off on a lot of these campuses. And, and that led to both a need and an opportunity to create a space like IEN where endowment decision makers and stakeholders could come together to learn about, you know, kind of the broad range of opportunities around sustainable and mission-aligned investing. So for me, it was a really good kind of full circle moment to come back to my interest around business and finance and the importance of higher ed. Um, and to sort of work at the intersection of those critical sectors. Yeah, that's kind of how I got here. And, you know, it's been a really satisfying and, and fascinating ride to, to do this work. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I've, I've always uh, admired what you're, what you're doing with universities. You know, there's such an important part of this whole ecosystem of moving the needle forward on climate, right? From an educational perspective, a research perspective, and now what we're talking about in an investment perspective. Mm -hmm. And you know, just, just to pick up more on, on higher education, you know, I've been fortunate enough to volunteer in different roles for my alma mater. And since this is a, perhaps a university centric uh, podcast, um, that is the Ohio State University. So go Bucks. So I'm chairing an advisory board at the Bird uh, Polar and Climate Research Center at OSU, and really privileged to get to work with the scientific community there to raise awareness, you know, raise funds for all the good climate research that's happening at, at OSU. And so part of why, you know, I'm drawn to to do this podcast with you is, you know, really just because your organization is so centered around university endowments and just, you know, my feeling that they have such an important role to play in, in, you know, in getting us to to net zero, that this is really, you know, personally going to be exciting for me. So, yeah, yeah, and I think it's often in kind of an overlooked sector too, right? I mean, people might not think about it front of mind when you think about the different sectors and sort of levers and actors in society that can help drive change and prepare society for you know creating a better better ways of doing things. But yeah, from the education to the research to the role these institutions play in their communities and the role that they play as investors is is really huge. Agree. So maybe I thought, you know, for this remainder of the first episode, maybe it would be interesting for you and I to just compare notes and talk at a high level about, 
maybe what I'll call the state of sustainable investing today. You know, we're, we're a couple months have passed, you know, since Climate Week New York. And we're finishing up COP27 in Egypt now. So beyond some of the insights maybe that you took from Climate Week and the news, you know, both good and perhaps not so good that's coming out of Egypt, what are some of the things that give you hope that sustainable investing is going to continue on its upward trajectory? Yeah, you know, there's a lot going on. and um, But no, we, we had our first in-person event since the pandemic in New York during Climate Week. And it was, it was great. It was great to get back together in person and sort of reconnect with the network, but also to just feel the energy and sort of hear about all the things that are going around, going on around sustainable investing and, and around addressing climate change. A few of the things that struck me, you know, is just really the increase in the number of institutions that have committed to doing something, you know, that whether that's divesting from fossil fuels or doing more engagement with companies, um, we've seen more endowments commit to net zero, more investment consultants and managers committing to net zero a lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion in the investment process. And we've been having a lot of conversations in our network around the interconnections and and sort of taking an intersectional approach to climate and justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion, and and thinking about really what a just transition means from an investment perspective. So I think those are exciting trends to see. Still a lot of talk and learning about those concepts, but also more implementation and, and sort of investors putting that to work through their portfolios. There's been a long kind of standing challenge in the field around definitions and terminology. And, you know, I think that remains the case, but I think there is hopefully increasing clarity and understanding, I think, as just more folks learn about these topics and what they really mean. And I think sort of this uh, this backlash and some of the anti-ESG attacks in the media that, that we mentioned are actually helping with that. It's, it's really forcing the field to kind of articulate what ESG investing is and isn't how it compares to impact investing, sustainable investing, and sort of the nuances between some of those terms. So I think that's all to the good. Um, We've been doing more work around retirement plans as well, and um, helping these institutions think about having more sustainable investing options in those plans as, uh, you know, that's really of interest to their faculty and staff. We've got a new pledge that we launched on this, and we've got more institutions signing up to that just to, to kind of go through the process of evaluating their plans and seeing what options they might be able to add or enhance in them. It's also really excited we're involved with uh, the launch of the Climate Positive Investing Alliance during Climate Week, which is you know, just a, an effort to really focus on what the science is telling us we need to do in terms of timing to get to net zero and to get beyond net zero to help draw down carbon from the atmosphere with an emphasis also on accounting for scope three emissions, those indirect emissions that entities have in their supply chains or in the use of their products or services. So that's an exciting development that came out of Climate Week as well. And and generally just the growing momentum. I mean, this has been happening for years, but it continues to accelerate with the cost of renewables going down so quickly, technology advancing, battery storage. And I think the Inflation Reduction Act is really big. I think the um, sort of accelerating impact that will have on all this market transition is significant. So yeah, I think there's a lot to be hopeful about as we kind of wrap up 2022 and, and look to 2023, but also certainly a lot of challenges too. So that's kind of the bright side, but um, <laughs> yeah, what are you seeing in terms of the, the barrier surface? Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, you touched on, on some of the barriers, you know, there's no doubt, you know, progress. I think there are things to be optimistic about, but I do think the challenges are, are many, right. And I, I try not to look at everything through, uh, 
know, rose colored glasses, uh, per se, but I, I also don't want to be a glass half empty person either. But, you know, there's been a lot of cr criticism, uh, I think, uh, about sustainable investing in, in ESG. And I think if we dig a little bit deeper and you touched on it, right, there's, there's just a lot of generalizations, I think, and um, a real, I, I still think there's a real lack of understanding in the market of what all the terms mean. And, I think there's a widespread use of labeling, I think, ESG as a label, for, for example. And I think that those kinds of labels leads to ultimately d division and, and polarization, uh, like a lot of different things. And I think that one of the big results of some of this uncertainty in terms of definitions is that it's made it more difficult to convince I would say decision makers like boards and investment committees that investing in a sustainable way, either integrating ESG or investing for impact or values alignment. The, the question is, is that going to help performance? And I think a lot of decision makers are not convinced when you go behind closed doors. So I think there's skepticism about that, that will will doing any of these things, divesting, committing to net zero, is that going to result in a better financial outcome? Because Ultimately, the people who are getting paid, right, to manage these assets, if they're not convinced, then it's going to be hard to get fiduciaries to adopt approaches that are going to be both additive to uh, sustainability as well as financial performance. So at the end of the day, really, it's is there something akin to proof uh, that's going to allow you to support the argument? That's hard because I, I think the jury's still out because we don't have enough time to do the evaluation. And I think the other issue, and I'm curious your thought on this, is that ESG is defined differently by a lot of market participants, right? You've got different rating firms that are going to view and evaluate companies differently. So there's really no consensus as to how to define what company is, is good at ESG or not. So then it's hard to look at the investment performance of ESG broadly and say, hey, it's helped or it's hurt. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, there is a lot of nuance here. And as you say, ESG is not one thing. A lot of people have a have trouble with the term ESG investing in and of itself because what that's really shorthand for the process of looking at material, environmental, social, and governance factors and helping that having those factors help inform your investment decision making. And you know, at the end of the day, different investors will look at the same factors and make different decisions. Um, right. Or some investors might look at different factors or weight different factors differently. And so, and that's just investing, right? So it doesn't, there's just no magic potion, no silver bullet, you know, it's still challenging. And for institutional allocators, you know, a lot of it comes down to manager selection, just like it always has. Sure. And this is another yeah. element of just how managers, how well they are or are not considering these factors. And, you know, I think there's no doubt that these are material factors that influence business performance, that influence value, and will do so increasingly. In my mind, I think it's, in essence, just kind of a no-brainer that, of course, we should be looking at these factors in the investment process. Um, but that doesn't mean you're automatically going to have better performance. It's, you know, again, it comes down to the skill of the investor, and, and that that hasn't changed. So it, it is tough to generalize and just say, oh, yeah, ESG outperforms because some investors could look at these factors and, and still be pretty bad investors. And some you know, right. could look at them and, and really enhance their investment process and outperform. So no guarantees, but I think it's it is pretty clear to me, anyways, that these are real dynamics that are increasingly important to business and to the economy as a whole, and uh, will just increasingly become more so. So, you know, that's really a, um, 
genesis behind the, the name of our network and in, in our work, you know, around the intentional endowments network is investors should be intentional about thinking about these issues and they'll still all kind of come to their own conclusions and, and chart their own path. But by ignoring them, I think it's, uh, to me, it seems safe to say you're, you're doing yourself a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, what you, what you just mentioned, charting your own path, I think that's really important, right? There's no right or wrong way to implement. And if you're, if you're going to implement, you've got to do it in a way that is going to meet your beliefs as well as your operating constraints. I think that's another thing as well. You know, endowments, you know, they operate differently, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you've got different sized endowments who may not be adequately resourced. You've got larger endowments who maybe can have more of a direct impact on the underlying securities they select. So mm -hmm. you know, a lot, a lot of differences there. Yeah. And I'm excited to get folks from different parts of the ecosystem into these conversations through the podcast too. You know, there's a, more of a move to outsource CIOs among many, you know, kind of small and medium sized endowments and a lot of interesting work happening there. So we'll get some of those folks on and, you know, different data providers and service providers around, you know, things like net zero and uh, DEI. So yeah. Um, it'll be fun to get some of those folks into these conversations. And, yeah. you know, I think another big piece of this um, that we'll dive into, I think hopefully in future episodes is, is the concept of the systemic risks that a lot of these issues present to portfolios, you know, particularly to universal owners. You know, there's kind of on the one hand, looking at individual companies and securities and how some of these ESG and sustainability factors will influence their performance and therefore their investment value. But also a lot of these issues are just systemic risks that face all investors, whether they care or not. And so right. uh, helping investors think about how their role plays out and, and addressing some of these systemic risks is something that we're talking a lot more about in the field and in our network. And I think uh, we'll get some interesting voices come on and, and share their ideas about that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I also think, you know, challenges around like the overall, what I'll call landscape. So, mm -hmm. and then maybe these are things that we, we, we can address in future episodes as well. So you have things like the notion of eco-modernism versus environmentalism. So that debate is sort of playing out now. Uh, related to that are things like green growth versus degrowth. So is carbon capture going to work mm -hmm. or direct air capture? Are those solutions or is that greenwashing, carbon offsets, the same thing? I think all those things inform investment decision making, you know, in a lot of ways. So being being able to, I think, touch on those and maybe unpack what's going on in, in those debates would be would be interesting as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Well I think it's clear we could talk about this stuff all day and that's why it's good we've got a podcast. We can keep doing it. But we should probably wrap this one up as our right. intro episode. And uh one of the things we're thinking about doing just to have a little fun with our guests, you know, again, because this is sort of a higher ed focused podcast is just ask them where they went to school, went to college or university, and uh, what some of their most interesting memories, fun memories, uh, things that kind of stuck out about their experience might be. And so we thought we would uh, kick that off with our own stories. So what kind of stands out for you? We could have a whole podcast about my Ohio State experience. So, you know, beyond the Saturdays in, in the horseshoe, I sort of think, and again, I mentioned it a little bit, the opportunity to go back and volunteer has really been extraordinarily rewarding for me and being able to engage with students, which I've been really fortunate to, to have that opportunity and to see how passionate they are about this issue in particular is again, you know, one of the things that really gives me 
a lot of hope that we're going to be able to to solve this crisis. So maybe not so much a a fun story about my time as a, as a student back at Ohio State, but certainly I think the the volunteer experiences you know keeps keeps me close to to a place that is uh, important to me. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, for me, it was uh, I went to Dartmouth College up in the the woods of New Hampshire. I had a great experience there in so many ways. Just amazing people, amazing friends. Um, learned a lot. A lot of great time outside um, in a beautiful area. One of the fun things that we always talked about that I think is kind of a quirky thing about Dartmouth is uh, there was some donor at some point, at least legend holds, who um, made a sizable gift to the college with the stipulation. I guess he's a big dog lover with the stipulation that um, dogs would be allowed in any building. So that was always kind of fun to have a bunch of dogs roaming around campus, being able to come into classrooms. And I always thought just kind of was a good uh, symbol of the, the culture of the place. And, you know, it was a pretty, small and, um, you know, kind of closely knit community up there. So that was, that's always a fun memory. And, um, you know, another one I had a great experience. They had, um, Dartmouth is pretty early in having an organic farm on campus or nearby where we could go and kind of work and learn about farming on a small scale and, um, yeah, kind of get our hands dirty a little bit. So that was another, another good piece of the experience up there. Yeah. We're looking forward to to hearing from more and connecting with lots of institutions Mm -hmm. on these topics. So, George, if you were a student back there today at Dartmouth, and let's say that they had not divested from fossil fuels, would you storm the football field at halftime of a football game to protest? Great question. I don't know. I was not much of an activist um, in sort of in my nature in terms of how I uh, think about and address change. So I don't know if I would have been one of the ones um, jumping over the barrier and and running out there. That was another fun part, though. We would always... uh, heckle and persuade freshmen at their first football game to run out political cause or not. Um, (laughs) But uh, it had been done and I I didn't jump over the fence for that either. So I don't know if I would have been one of the students out on the field, but I do think that the work that a lot of these students are doing is, is critically important and it's really changed the conversation and driven a lot of important work and thinking and change at these institutions. So, yeah. yeah. And I think what's going to be really interesting here is that as we get into to certain episodes where we talk with different types of institutions, right? Because your perspective is, uh, right? So you've got a, a sort of the an Ivy League perspective to some degree. I've got this Big Ten middle of the country perspective. So what works for one may not necessarily work for another, right? So this whole notion of charting your own path and maybe the student activism is is a good example, right? So the protest at the University of, of Pennsylvania, hey, maybe that works for the University of Pennsylvania. I'm thinking to myself, wow, if we had students at Ohio State go out and protest during halftime of the Ohio State-Michigan game that delayed the game by an hour, I'm not <laughs> sure that would necessarily foster the fossil fuel divestment movement. So anyway, th- those are... Uh, Interesting little anecdotes for sure. So, yeah. So maybe we should we should wrap this up here. I think we'd like to do too is invite people to send us questions, email us with different topics that they might want to hear more about. So you can do so, you know, via email, over Twitter, or LinkedIn. And uh, also want to thank our producer, uh, Mariah Keener, who's helped set this up, get our equipment right. And, and look for episode two from us in a couple of weeks. So thanks, uh, George. Enjoyed doing this with you and look forward to the next one. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thanks, Mariah. This is going to be fun.